Lord, you know what happened? I know what happened. Lord, let's pray before we begin. Lord, <laughs> I just ask that the words I speak this morning are from you. They're words of life. They're words of edification. They're words of encouragement, uh, even words of conviction, Father. And I just pray that those words are yours, not mine. And any words that are yours would go into our hearts. They'd be planted and they'd bear good fruit. And any words that are mine would fall on the floor so that all remember is a good message. In Jesus' name, amen. See, the first time I didn't pray it, look at how I stumbled out the gate. All right. Uh, we're doing a sermon series. This is what it looks like about the fruits of the Holy Spirit, because the fruits of the Spirit are what our Christian life looks like. Gifts are what we do, but fruit is what it actually looks like. Fruit is the foundation that everything else flows from, right? So we had, we talked about it last week, and so we're going to continue it this week, and we're going to do peace. We're going out of order. We figured we'd end on love, because love is a big one. And it kind of encompasses all of them. And I also figured we should probably do joy on Pentecostal Sunday. So that's when we're going to do that. So we're starting with peace. Awesome. Peace is great. I love peace. I wish I had more of it in my life. Uh, let's start with what I think is probably a, a great verse. John 14. Uh, John 14, 27, verse 27. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give you. I do not give it to you as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled and do not be afraid. Wow. Thank you. We just received that. We receive your peace, Father. We ask that you would come. And that our hearts would not be troubled and we would not be afraid. Jesus said that to his disciples and it's really cool. It's actually a really neat section of the Gospel of John chapter 14 through 17 because it's Jesus talking to his disciples and he's actually talking about dying. He's giving them a heads up. He's like, my time is near. I'm about to leave. And it's a really great thing. There's so many... Um, nuggets of truth and Christian kind of sayings that and, and favorite verses that come out of that. Our name comes out of John 15, abide in the vine, right? Which is also important, abide in the vine, because if you're not, if the branch is separate from the vine, it cannot produce fruit, right? But 14, he's talking about that, and he's, so he's saying, I'm going to my Father to prepare a place for you. He's like, they're like, if uh, I'm going so that I can send the Holy Spirit to you. He's saying all these really cool things, but he's saying he's leaving. And, he's, and so he's having to say, and he says about three times in the three chapters, do not let your heart be troubled and do not be afraid. Because he's telling them things are going to get really tough. They didn't get the, the memo. They didn't understand. They got it later. But he's, he's warning them. He's like, things are going to get really rough, but don't worry. Do not worry and do not be afraid. Because I give you my peace. And he says it, if you actually jump to, to verse 25, or verse 26 rather, but the advocate, the Holy Spirit, with whom the Father will send in my name uh, and will teach you all things and remind you of everything I have said to you, peace I leave with you. My peace I give you. So this is really 
important. Peace is really important. So what is peace? That word, that Greek word is, is really interesting because it's the Greek, you know, it's the New Testament, so it's in Greek. And that word means calm or contentedness. And I want to tell you that's the wrong translation. Because Jesus didn't, didn't say that word. It got written, but Jesus didn't say that word. What language do you think Jesus spoke? Aramaic or Hebrew? Hebraic, depending on where and what. And when he was reading scripture, he was probably quoting direct Hebraic. But So he probably didn't say the Greek word peace. Right? Probably said Aramaic, Hebraic, shalom. That word for peace is a lot bigger. The Greek word has a little bit of this component too, which we'll talk about it. But that word shalom is, can be summed up in one simple word, wholeness. It's wholeness. It's being complete. And in that wholeness, you find security and safety. So when he says, peace I leave with you, my peace I give you, I think he's doing two things there. First of all, he's saying, peace I leave with you. I think he's talking about Holy Spirit, the spirit of peace, because the whole context is this holy, I will go so the Father can send the Holy Spirit, and my peace I give you, my wholeness I give you. So we get it really confused sometimes with peace because we think peace is being calm or being content. And that is definitely surface level layer of peace. But it's not just being calm and content. And you can be uncalm and have peace. And you can be discontent and have peace. In fact, there's something we call holy discontent, right? Holy hunger, that idea that I'm full but I want more of you, Jesus. Fill me up so that you can fill me up further. And Jesus wasn't very calm when he overturned the tables and he whipped. <laughs> I just wish we could do stuff like that today. And he whipped the moneylenders and he said, get out of my, my, my house, you thieves. Right? He wasn't very calm, but he had peace. So we need to remove the standard Americanized, westernized, English idea of what peace is. When we have it, it's great, but we won't always have it, but we can always have the fruit of peace in our lives. So what's the wholeness that Jesus is promising us? What's the, what is the peace of God? Well, I put it to you that the peace of God, and we talked about this, the peace of God is your identity in Christ. On Christ the solid rock I stand. The thing that makes me the most secure is my standing in Christ. So what makes me unwhole is anything that starts attacking my identity in Christ. Anything that starts making me doubt who I am in him and doubt who he is for me. And we can break this up into two really simple categories well, actually, we can get up into one really simple thing, fear. There's a reason he said, my peace I give you. Do not be troubled in your heart and do not be afraid. Fear comes in and it makes us troubled 
or worried, and it makes us afraid, insecure. Most of our insecurity can be summed up in a word, fear of man. We're worried about what other people think about us, what they might say about us, how they might act towards us, and we accommodate our fear of them, and we change how we act, we change how we talk, we change who we are around them so that they think better of us or they don't hurt us. That's called insecurity. It's fear of man. And it means you do not have the fruit of the Spirit, peace in your life. Because you are unsettled by someone's opinion. You're unsettled by someone's action. That's very, it's an external thing that we do because we try and change and alter who we are and how we appear to appease somebody else and not Jesus. We talked about uh, Sunday, last Sunday, do not be ashamed of the gospel. And I said, you know, we do that. We get this weird shame and we don't go all the way when we share why we are different. And that's that fear of man piece. That's that insecurity. I'm actually not secure enough to stay, to say I'm where I am because of what Jesus did and only what he did. And I'm only able to do what I do because of Jesus. Because the minute we say Jesus in this society, we get a little worried about how people will perceive us and how they'll react to us. And I'm telling you, when you have your identity in Christ, when your connection with Christ, when your connection to the vine is strong, the fruit of peace will grow in your life and you will find security there and boldness to go, this is why and who I am because he calls me that. And it's a whole other sermon about identity in Christ, but if you want, you want a uh, refresher, I encourage you to read Ephesians, especially Ephesians 1 and 2. That is a cheat sheet on our identity in Christ. The other one is worry. That's a little bit more internal. You see, fear, uh, insecurity is fear of man. Worry is not trusting God. Again, we're, we're not sure about who he says we are. We're not sure about who he is. So we get something wrong with our identity and his identity, and we start to worry. Worry is not trusting God. I'm sorry. I don't want to seem like I'm uh, bashing all you worriers out there. Because <laughs> trust me, I'm a worrier. My brain, I was sharing with, with a guy's group uh, a couple Saturdays ago. I was sharing, man, my brain, part of why I'm a, worry, a worrier I want to be a warrior, but I'm a worrier, is my brain doesn't stop, and it goes through every possibility every time something happens, to the best and the worst. And I can get really anxious, and I have to calm myself. I stop myself, and I'm, I was uh, sharing, man, right now I'm in a testing place with God, and it sucks, and it's great <laughs> at the same time. Because I, te- when God tests you, it's never a pass or fail. It's always to prove himself to you. And if we kind of mess it up, it's fine. He goes, that's fine. Another test on the way. I'm giving you another chance. There's never, it's never pass and fail with God. It's always try better. It's always good job or next time. It is. That's a good word. That's a good word. Because some of us, we got this Western mentality, Western uh, American test anxiety. Oh, if it's a test from God, something must be wrong. And if I fail, I'm gonna, it's going to be really bad. No, when God tests you, it's either a good job or get him next time. 
Because when he tests you, it's because he gave you something, and he's like, let me put it to you this way. Uh, when you're rock climbing, you put anchors into the rock face to hold your weight. That anchor is not actually an anchor until it's held your weight. So God gives you anchors. He gives you truths, and he goes, Put that in the wall. Make it secure. But now I need to test you because you need to put your weight on the anchor I just gave you. A foundation isn't a foundation until it's been tested. Because I can make a foundation and go, that's good. Has it, have you stood on it? No, not yet. Oh, you don't know if it's good yet. See, the test is for us. The test is for God to prove himself. And we fail when we don't trust it and we don't trust him. But there's always, the hope is, the word of hope is there's always a next time. So for us worriers out there, we just need to learn to trust God. And we need to, to learn when, when, we get, when our worry spikes, it's always an opportunity to, to trust God. It's always an opportunity to actually put our weight on the anchor he's given us. Which is what I'm going through right now. I'm like, okay, Lord, I'm putting my weight on here. Putting my weight on this and I'm trusting you. And you know the amazing thing? God loves progress, and he celebrates progress. He doesn't celebrate perfection. So at the end of the day, even when I go, man, I didn't do that great of a job, he goes, yeah, but you did it better than last time. Amen? <laughs> so our wholeness comes from our identity in Christ. So the first manifestation of peace, of the fruit of peace in my life, is that I have security so I don't deal with fear of man as much, and I overcome fear of man easier. And I also, I trust God more, and I, I'm, I'm less of a worrier. I can more easily give to God all of my concerns and trust him with that. So that's the primary manifestation. What happens when we don't do that? Well, like I said, we get insecure. We start worrying. It's really interesting. I, I, uh, I was talking to Alyssa. Alyssa was telling me about a person that she kind of listens to a little bit, a, a Christian personality on, on Instagram, right? And this person said, have you heard about this certain curriculum? And she was like, Mika, have you heard about this curriculum? I was like, no, I have no idea what this is. I have no idea what you're talking about. She goes, oh, okay, well, this person like doesn't like it. And I was like, oh, that's weird. And then my... Oh, did I start mumbling? Did I start talking too low? <laughs> Alyssa's like, stop it. So Alyssa tells me about this controversy. And me being me, I get really curious about it. And I go, I have to see what's going on. And it's these Christians, it's a group of Christians who are bashing this Christian curriculum from a pretty well-known church because it's whatever. They have a problem with it. Man, you know, I told this, I was like, I'm going to call these people crunchy Christians from now on. They're crunchy Christians. There's a thing with a, there's a term for moms, a joking term, maybe slightly derogatory, for moms who are kind of helicopter, who really focus on their kids, and it's like, you know, I only let my kid eat whole foods, nothing processed, and, and uh, they don't have peanut butter, they have the, you know, almond butter, and, and, you know, they're just very, they're called crunchy moms. I said, I'm calling these Christians crunchy Christians. The Bible calls them Pharisees. I'm going to call them crunchy Christians, okay? 
And I'm like, I can tell they don't have the fruit of the Spirit called peace in their life. Because the thing that they do is they go around and they just cause division, which is the opposite of wholeness, the opposite of peace. Because they, they want to go and they say, I don't like what you're doing, so I'm going to go on to my little platform that I pay for and I'm going to type or I'm going to speak into a camera and I'm going to bash what they do. And, and man, I'm just like, shut up. Just be quiet. Crunchy Christians. And it's like they don't have peace because they're insecure. And they have to let everyone know that they're holier than, than you and that they, they understand the, the only interpretation of the Bible that's possible. Most of the time they'll tell you something and it's like it's the only way you can interpret the Bible. And I'm like, okay, explain all these Christian denominations then. But i just like, okay, Lord, help me. Help me. Because I get really crunchy <laughs> towards them, which isn't, isn't the right path either. And, I, and I, do say, I do have to say help me because there's this other thing about peace. There's this thing where the internal manifestation of peace in our life is that we're more secure and that we don't worry so much and that there is that sense of calm. It might not always manifest like that, but we are secure in who Christ says we are. That's the internal manifestation. So what's the external manifestation then? The external manifestation is the other aspect of peace. You see, peace also has a component of reconciliation, which we've also talked about in the last several weeks. Matthew 5, 9, blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. What I love about John 15 is, and he says it in 14 too, he goes on this whole thing about, if you love me, follow my commands. If you do what I say, you will produce fruit. If you just are in me like I am in the Father, the Father will be with you. He does all this thing and he combines it and he goes, if you do these things, you will be my children. You will be in my family. You will be part of me. Jesus replied in John 14, 23, anyone who loves me will obey my teaching. My Father will love them, and we will come to them. We, we, that's the Trinity there. We will come to them and make our home with them. King James has one of the best translations. We will dwell in them. So I don't know about you guys, which this is a whole other series. The Beatitudes are a whole other series. But I would read the Beatitudes and go, well, that's me, that's not me. <laughs> that's me, or I, I relate to that. I don't know if you guys ever did that. The Beatitudes are all of us. Blessed is the poor in spirit. He's not saying the people that are poor in spirit are blessed. He's saying you are blessed because you are poor in spirit. Right? He's not saying there are some peacemakers, and those peacemakers would be called the children of God. The Beatitudes are actually a constitution. It's a list of responsibilities, and it's a list of actions, and, and it's a list of titles of his children. So you can't read the Beatitudes and go, well, I'm that one, a little bit of that one. You're all of them. And so when it, <laughs> when it says, blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God, raise your hand if you're a children of God. Some of you guys didn't raise your hand. Okay, there we go. Whew. That means you're peacemakers. Peacemakers. So there's this element of reconciliation. And uh, in Acts, when Stephen, <laughs> see, because they knew it. They understood this so much better than we do. 
When Stephen was giving his testimony before the high priest, before they stoned him, he goes on this whole story to explain and share the gospel and who Jesus was, and he talks about Moses. And there's this one line here that I, I really, really love, um, which, of course, I didn't write down. Um, but it's Acts 7, 26, and he's talking about Moses. Uh, he sees, he, he, Moses kills the um, Egyptian guard, and, and he comes back later, and he sees two Israelites arguing. And he goes, and it says that he goes to them, and he, and he wants to um, set them at one again. The, again, New King James, uh, King James, I like how it said it. Set them at one again. Uh, your translation might say something like, make peace with them. But it set them at one. It was to take what was divided or broken and make it whole again. And I just really love that line. That's why I'm quoting it. it there's this part about being a peacemaker that says, when I see division, my heart needs to be moved. And the external manifestation of that fruit in my life is I want to see what's separated whole again. There's that reconciliation. And, and part of that is literally, as um, uh, Charlie spoke a couple weeks ago, 2 Corinthians uh, chapter 5, verse 18, all this is from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. You know, it's, oh, it's sharing the gospel. It's, it's more than just sharing the gospel. That's a really, 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 really important part of it. Because the ultimate reconciliation that we can be a part of is reconciling the lost sheep to the shepherd, the lost children, back to the Father. So that's a really big one. But Romans also tells us the whole earth is crying out for the sons of God to rise up because we're called to reconcile. It's part of our calling, and that's why the fruit of a Christian has peace in it, which is to make what is separate whole again. So there's this external aspect of it that is, is so powerful. And I'm not saying that we go everywhere and we fix everything and, or anything like that, but I am saying that... Uh, I really believe that the sign of a Christian that's walking in an abundance of the fruit of peace is that where we go, division is healed. That where we go, separation is repaired. That reconciliation happens. That what was one but is now two is back into one in, in everything. In our, in our relationships, right, and, and everything. It's not just, though it's, I think, really important. It's not just with God, but it's also in relationships, it's in families, it's, it's in the workplaces. It's, it's everywhere because there's this external reality that comes. Okay? So let's understand a couple things about this. Because, like I said, there's crunchy Christians out there, and I'm like, ooh, they don't get it. They don't get it. Um, this comes from my dad. My dad doesn't know this, um, but he has this verse that is one of his life verses that he says quite frequently, actually, uh, especially lately, <laughs> lately, especially the last couple of years, he said it quite a lot. And every time he says it, it's a conviction to me. And it's gotten to the point 
well, I'll just share first. Um, Romans 12, 18. Uh, Do not repay anyone evil for evil. Carefully consider what is right in the eyes of everybody. If it is possible on your part, live in peace with everyone. So my father-in-law, Ron, life, one of his life verses, and he's lived it out, and I see him live it out. And he talks about it, and he shares it, and he says, oh, I was doing this, and the Lord told me, convicted me, and I had to stop, and I was bad mouth this person, I had to stop, because I just, and he leave it, live at peace. And this person was angry, and they wanted this, and I didn't want to give it to him, but you know, the Lord said, live at peace. And every time he said it, I would get convicted. And it's gotten to the point, Dad, where I'm living my life, and I'm getting angry at somebody, and the Holy Spirit talks to me, and he sounds a lot like you. And he says, is it possible to live at peace with this person? <sighs> and, I go, and I go, okay. It just happened this week. My, my wife and I, we were having some communication breakdowns, and we were getting a little sharp with each other in the morning. And she went off to work, and I went off to home and and took you know taking care of the kids and all this and and so we had just a couple just sharp communication communication breakdowns that happens right and I remember uh, it was in the afternoon she texted me because she was going to take our son to soccer practice and she was going to take um, our middle child with him so she texted me and she said fill up the soccer ball if when you have time she didn't even tell me this. She said, if you have time can you fill up the soccer ball the soccer ball has a flat in it. I've already tried to fill it up. It's a very quick leak. And so here's what I'm thinking contextually. No, that's silly. If I do that, it'll just lose the air, and it'll be exactly what it is. I'm not going to waste my time filling it up with air. That's the context that's in my head. I text her back, and I say, it has a flat. She texts me back. I know. It's for Ezra. It's for Solomon. And I go, well, actually, is it possible to live at peace right now? And I had to put my hands down and say, it's fine. Alyssa doesn't need to know that I'm absolutely right here. She doesn't need to know that. It's okay. And I might have misread the tone of her text because we had some communication breakdowns, and I'm not feeling all that loving towards her, so I might be misreading the tone of her text. And if I respond, she'll most likely misread the tone of my text. So I'm not going to do I think I maybe did a thumbs up or something. I think I did respond, but not verbally, just like, okay. We talked about it at dinner. I said, oh, Alyssa, <laughs> I had to extend some peace to you. And she, was, she totally laughed because she was like, oh, yeah, I totally get that. And just a couple days ago, she, uh, just two days ago, no, Friday. So two days ago, she, I left something on the car, the roof of the car, and it fell off the roof of the car on the freeway. And so Alyssa was very upset with me. <laughs> and, she, and she had to admit, she goes, I had to work through some unrighteous anger at you. But she did. Right? 
that it should be something that as Christians we have etched on our heart. If it's possible. And that's a trick question. Can I tell you why it's a trick question? It's, it's always fun. Every, anything is possible with God. It's a trick question. I mean, I get there's some circumstances where, you know, I get it. You know, somebody puts a gun to your face and says, renounce Jesus. Maybe don't renounce Jesus. Maybe don't try and live at peace with that person. I get it. But for the most part, for most of our living, it's going to always be possible. And it's always going to be possible because we have the Holy Spirit who empowers us to have the fruit of the Spirit. <laughs> right? <laughs> so we need that etch in our heart and we need to remember something. We need to remember that our battle isn't with flesh and blood. This is something, This, uh, you know, I, I said this phrase to Alyssa when we were talking about the crunchy Christians. And I said, I just, they read half their Bible. They read half their Bible. They read the half that justifies how they want to act, and they read the half that justifies how they're responding. And it's amazing to me how many crunchy Christians just argue about, uh, argue about other Christians. They aren't re- representing Christ well. They aren't doing, you know, the big one right now is hilarious to me because this church is not this, but it's like the offense crunchy Christians get when I call you guys valuable. The absolute offense they get. No, we're not valuable. We're dirty rats. The only thing good about us is Christ. And I'm like, read your Bible. All of it. That's 100% true. And then Jesus came. He actually did something. He didn't just cover us with blood. The blood is actually a disinfectant. It did something. If you think that I accept Jesus and I'm dirty and rotten, and I accept Jesus, and on the other side of accepting Jesus, I'm still dirty and rotten. Something's broke with you, and you don't read your Bible. Like, but they get so offended. That's the offense. How dare you say human people are valuable? I don't say humans are valuable. I only know a couple really valuable humans. That's a joke. Here's what I know. Here's what I know the Bible says. The Bible says... Love the brethren. Love the community of faith. Right? That's obvious. Love those that you love the same things and you act the same way and you, you know, supposedly, especially when he was saying that, all had generally the same beliefs. Love those people. The Bible says that. Okay. We can agree on that. The Bible says love the brethren, love the community of faith, love the family of God. Yes. Well, it also says love your neighbor. But what's neighbor? Neighbor is anybody that's next to you. Anybody. You walk in the store, all of them are your neighbor. Neighbor is not just the person that lives to the, to the right or left or in front of you. Neighbor is anybody you encounter that is not family. They're neighbors. Okay, so now we know that the Bible says love, which by the way, love means value and respect. Everybody, no, neighbors. Everybody you're around. So we can agree on that. The Bible says that. If you don't remember that, re-listen to Easter. I quoted the verse where the Bible says, love your neighbors. All right. Then it says, love your enemies. I think that basically covers everybody, right? <laughs> love the family, okay? Love the neighbors, 
Okay. Also love the people that don't love you. Wait, what? But it says it. It says it. So these crunchy Christians read half the Bible and they go, I don't have to love you. I'm like, well, yes, you do. Yes, you do. But you're wrong. I could be. You still have to love me. I am convinced the main manifestation of peace in our lives is wholly connected to the amount of wholeness we have manifested inside ourselves, and that is in direct proportion to the wholeness in our relationship with Christ. See, I, I have these funny little internal stories with the Bible. I think they're funny. You might not think they're funny. But because um, I know some people get offended. Like, you know, in, on uh, Jesus in the, in the storm, which we talk about peace, a lot of people like to talk about that story. Uh, I love that story. Uh, but I, the little internal story I have about it is that that wasn't supposed to happen. I don't think Jesus was supposed to calm the storm. He was sleeping. He was fine. And I think the reason why he calmed the storm is because he woke up and he saw his disciples freaking out. And he said, okay, I'm going to have compassion on you guys because you guys are freaking out. And and I actually love this um, uh, your your uh, translations <laughs> might say quiet, like quiet, be still. Some of you guys remember like peace, be still, which is like the King James Version. <laughs> NASB says hush, <laughs> which I just love Jesus getting and standing up at the stern of the boat and going, shh, <laughs> just hush. That word actually means hold your peace. Hold your peace. Be silent. Um you know, the teaching there is Jesus was asleep, and he wasn't catatonic. He wasn't knocked out. Like, it wasn't like he was like, I'm so exhausted I could sleep through an earthquake. No, he just was asleep. Got done preaching. He said, let's go to the other side. They got in the boats. He went to the stern and had himself a nap. And the waves come. And the storm comes, and the waves wash onto the boat. And, you know, again, a little internal story. I don't know if the boat was sinking. The Bible doesn't say the boat was sinking. The Bible says that the disciples thought the boat was sinking. So, again, I have a little internal story saying it actually wasn't sinking. Right? And so they get to Jesus, and I love it. Can you imagine? You don't care. That's what they said. You don't care that we're dying. Melodramatic. I bet it was Peter. You don't care. And so he got up, he rebuked the wind, and said to the sea, hush, be still. The wind died down, and it became perfectly calm. And he said to them, why are you afraid? Do you still have so little faith? See, Jesus had peace on the inside, and he was able to manifest that peace on the outside. And he looked to his disciples and said, what's the deal? The implication being, you could have done that. You didn't need me. You need to, it, it, what, literally, you're connected to me. You're my disciples. You could have done that. Why do you still have so little faith? The interesting thing there is, a little bit later, this story comes before the sending out of the disciples. 
I just think it's interesting because when he sends out the disciples, he says, go out, go to a home, release your peace. And if it rests there and is received, stay there as long as you can. Eat their food because the worker's worth is higher. And heal the sick, cast out demons, administer. Release your peace. And if it's received, and it said, if it's released your peace, and if it's not received, leave the town. And as you leave the town, shake the dust off your sandals. Interesting thing about shaking the dust off your sandals, that was really, actually, it was really insulting. Because what a devout Jew would do when they went into a Gentile city and did business, when they left, they would shake the dust off their sandals. And they're saying, I have nothing to do with this city. I am not a part of you because they're Jews. They're holy and separate. I'm not a part of you. I don't even want your dust following me. So when he goes, go into the cities, by the way, Jesus ministered to the Jews. So he's going into primarily Jewish towns. When he says, go there, if they reject you, if the spirit of peace is not received, leave and shake the dust. Treat them like they treat the Gentiles. Say, I want nothing to do with you. even says it'll be worse for them on the day of judgment than it was. Because they saw the Spirit, they had the, you know, they should have known. That's a whole big deal. The Jews should have known. But I do think it's interesting that just a couple chapters before that, they couldn't release peace. And a few chapters later, they're sent out without Jesus. And their goal is, they say, they said the, the first thing they do is they release their peace. And if it's received, they stay. So there's something there. There's that internal understanding of our identity. There's that internal understanding of who we are in Christ that gives us security and frees us from worry. It increases our security and our trust in the Lord. And when we're, the more we are whole in that identity, the more when we are in places, we have the ability to release our peace into a situation, to release a reconciliation into the atmosphere to be instruments of healing and restoration for relationships of all sorts and sizes. I think that's powerful. So that's what it looks like. It doesn't look like backbiting, backtalking, division. You know, Alyssa talked about this in her unity message several weeks ago. Don't say anything if you don't have anything nice to say, right? What does it mean to live at peace? First, first of all, stop seeing each other as enemies. Like <laughs> Ephesians six twelve, for our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against rulers and against authorities, against the powers of the dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in, in the heavenly realm. In the heavenly realms, we don't fight against flesh and blood. Stop looking at flesh and blood as your enemy, please. It's, it's the most destructive things Christians do. We target people and we say, you're evil, you're bad, you're not right, you're unrighteous. It's like, why? Even if, yeah, of course, are they saved? Then of course they're unrighteous. They, but they don't know. You know, that's a whole other topic, guys. We try and put our values on people that literally the Bible says do not understand and it's complete foolishness to them. It makes sense to us. Have you ever, most of us have either, we were born saved, I say that facetiously, meaning we were born in the church, 
and we've been Christianized our whole life and we got salvation, or we're old enough that we've been saved longer than we haven't been saved. Okay? Have you ever been around someone that has no concept of the church or Christianity? How often are you around those people? If you are around that person, ask them about Christianity. You will be shocked at what they don't know, misconceptions they have, how they view it, and you're like, and then don't ever make the mistake of saying, why do you think that? Because it'll just be sad. Because <laughs> they'll tell you exactly what they see reflected by the Christians in their lives. And you'll go, oh, no. We don't want crunchy Christians. <laughs> yeah. I just, I was telling Alyssa, man, if, if, you know, we said, I want, I'd rather have a church that had all the fruit and none of the gifts than a church with all the gifts and none of the fruit. Because, and man, if the church just understood the fruit of peace that we're called to be whole and to bring wholeness, so much of the things we do, we wouldn't do. Because that's the, that's the question. Am I coming here and I'm, am I being divisive? Well, Jesus said I'm coming to divide. Yes, Jesus said I'm coming to divide. So let Jesus do the dividing. Yeah. Okay. Um, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, Holy Spirit, come. You, Jesus promised you. <laughs> he promised you. <laughs> okay. Oh, Father, thank you. I had this thing. I, this might make no sense to you guys. God so loved you that he sent God to die for you. God died for you and loved you so much he went away to send God to you to tell you all about God and God. It's true. <laughs> I don't know about you guys. I had that thought and I genuinely started crying. It's so amazing. And we, we don't get that sometimes. We don't understand. And that's why I said the, the ancient Hebrews understood this. We throw in our language and confuse things. One of the titles of God was Jehovah Shalom. And most of us will translate that God of peace or Lord of peace. The real translation. God is my wholeness. God is my wholeness. He's just not, it's not God of peace. He is my peace. And so to understand that what happened was, is God loved you so much. He died for you so that he could live in you and he could dwell with you. The word dwell implies intermingling. Like, he comes and he combines with us. That's why, that's why he gave us a new nature. That's why we're new creations. And he did that and he became our wholeness so that we would go and be wholeness to others. So they would see us, they would see the fruit in our lives, and it would point to God. <laughs> 
to Jesus. It's such a big deal. So thank you so much, Holy Spirit, that you have come that you dwell inside of us, that you are the advocate, you are the teacher, you are the helper, you are the, uh, the comforter, Father, Holy Spirit, and that you constantly are teaching us about Jesus. You're constantly teaching us about the Father. You're constantly transforming us. And in you, you are our wholeness. And so please, please, please continue that work. Convict us in those areas that we are broken and we are incomplete. Convict us in those areas that we struggle with doubt and we struggle with fear. Convict us in those areas so that we would be made more and more whole in you. And the fruit of peace would increase in our lives. And it would increase for others. We thank you. We thank you for everything you do for us, but we acknowledge that you don't just do it for us. That when we become a part of your family, we get in the family business, and the family business is reconciling the world back to you. So thank you. Thank you. Amen.